The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. This morning we have the privilege of having Dan Hamill here with us. Uh, Dan is the executive director of the North American Baptist uh, Conference, of which we are a part. And uh, we look forward to being blessed by God's word as he shares it with us. God bless you. Great. Thank you. Good morning, church. It is great to be What a wonderful worship time of just giving praise. Uh, lean to the person next to you and just say, it is well with my soul. Let's do that right now. Yeah. Amen. Well, it's good to be back at White Ridge for me. I've been here before a, a number of times, been able to speak to you at least one other time. And uh, it is literally good to be here. I was standing at uh, Sacramento Airport in Sacramento, California on Friday, standing in line to get on an airplane, and my uh, phone buzzed. I looked down and I had a text from United Airlines who said, because of the snowstorm coming to Denver, all your flights have been canceled. And so I stood in the customer service line and said to them, I need to be able to get to, uh, to Winnipeg by Sunday morning, whatever you can do. And they said, Dr. Hamill, for sure, we will get you the most effective and efficient flight from uh, Sacramento to Winnipeg that we possibly can. I realized four hours later that the most effective and efficient flight to Winnipeg is from Sacramento to San Francisco to Toronto to Winnipeg. (laughs) But life is good and God is good and and I'm here, so it really is a pleasure and a privilege to be with you this morning. You're in a series of uh, sermons that are taking you through the book of John one chapter at a time. Uh, Pastor Terry preached two weeks ago on John chapter 1. Pastor Doug preached last week on John chapter 2, so that would mean, if I do my numbers correctly, we're in John chapter 3. So if you have your Bible and you want to either uh, put your finger in the text of John 3 or scroll over to John 3, that would be great, and that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. A number of months ago, I woke up with excruciating back pain. And when it didn't subside at all for that next month, I went to my doctor, who's a wonderful doctor. I love the practice that we get to go to for a doctor with a great staff. And he did a full examination of me and sent me for x-rays and then called me back and he said, Mr. Hamill, you have two problems. And I said, well, doctor, what what are those two problems? He said, Mr. Hamill, you're old and you're fat. (laughs) That is wonderful bedside manner. But he was true. (laughs) He went on to say, I have degenerative degenerative disc in my lower back. And he said, what you really need to work on is your core muscles. So if you don't know anything about working out, and if you don't know anything about physical therapy, your core muscles are those muscles in your stomach and those muscles that sort of wrap around into your back that they keep everything stable. So that if you have strong core muscles, your spine and the nerves around that are going to be stable and less prone to pain. Core things are really important. Our passage today in John chapter 3 narrates an encounter with a man called Nicodemus. And then John will run us into some really deep theological words and meanings. And we sort of end, we're going to climax this morning, we're not going to do the whole chapter with verses that we probably in the church know as John 3.16. And I believe that as we move through these verses, these verses are core. That if we get these verses right, if we're strong in these verses, 
the rest of our theological and spiritual understandings of our faith will align. They'll be strong, they'll be stable, and we'll be less prone to err. Now, of all the words in all the books of the Bible, the words of John 3.16 are perhaps the most well-known. Both Christians and non-Christians alike know well John 3.16. We had it on the screen earlier today. It was spoken to us. But do this, because I, I think these words are very well known. Let's just do a little poll. Raise your hand right now. If you think you're from memory, you could stumble across most of John 3.16 right now. So raise your hand if you think you could do John 3.16. Good. I want to make sure you're not lying in church. <laughs> you wouldn't do that, would you? So go ahead and lean to the person next to you, to the right, to the left. And see if you can just fumble over maybe the first 10, 15 words of John 3.16. Go ahead and do that now, just right next to you. Go. <clears throat> All right, great. So, so how many of you... How many have got a, a th at least a few words? Yeah? How many of you got all the words? How many did the whole verse? Yeah, over, don't you hate overachievers? <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. I was uh, driving out of Sacramento a couple of weeks ago, heading to the airport. I'm always heading to airports. And I was driving out under an overpass, and on the, the uh, under, I was under an overpass, and the, a guy above me was holding this big sign that said John 3.16, just waving it at all the cars as he went by. And I was pretty convinced, even living in California, that most of the people who were driving under and seeing that had some understanding of what this gentleman was trying to communicate. Because we all tend to know, right, John 3.16. Even in our culture around us, people who aren't uh, you know, very conversant with the faith do know what John 3.16 is. It wouldn't happen, would it? Wouldn't, wouldn't help if he would have put Lamentations 3.16 on, right? Raise your hand this morning if you know Lamentations 3.16. Yeah, none of you, because Lamentations 3.16 says this. This is what the verse says. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. That's not exactly the verse that we teach to young children at Vacation Bible School, is it? But John 3.16 is just this great core verse that we want to get to this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 3. And I'm just going to read the first seven verses for us this morning. So out of, out of honor and respect for God's Word, if I could have you stand. This is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is God's Word for us this morning. Now... There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The story that anchors John chapter 3 is the story of Nicodemus. Now, if Nicodemus was your next-door neighbor and moved into your house next to yours, your apartment, your condo, the first thing you do is probably shorten his name to Nick, just because Nicodemus is way too long for us in Winnipeg. But after that, you would realize that Nicodemus is a great neighbor to have. Nicodemus is this wonderful guy. He is highly religious. He was a Pharisee, which put him as this very strict conservative Jew in his days. He was a member of the ruling council. The word is Sanhedrin. So there was this group of people who were the ruling council in every city. And Nicodemus was part of them. The word Sanhedrin comes from two words. The first, san, which we have sort of anglicized then as the word syn, S-Y-N, as in syncopation or synergy. It means to do something together. And the word edrion, which is the word to sit. So uh, Nicodemus was part of this group that sat together. They were the Jewish uh, religious council. They were the Jewish uh, social council council. They both did the legislative duties and the judicial duties of that day. He was an important guy. He was not only a ruler, he was a ruler of the rulers. He was a leader of the leaders. He was most likely moral and ethical to a fault. Nicodemus, if he was your neighbor, had no external disturbing behaviors hanging from his character rack. And he came to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, I think what happened is his buds, his ruling buds all got together, and they said, Nicodemus, we choose you. You're our ambassador. You're our spokesman. We want you to go to Jesus, and we've got some questions. In fact, Nicodemus, here is the essential core of the question that we want you to get to. Nicodemus, you need to go to Jesus and ask him this question. How do we know if we are in right standing with God? Nicodemus, ask him, how do we know if we're truly right with God, if we're okay with God, and more importantly, that God is okay with us? Because Nicodemus, you know this, but when we sort of crawl into bed at the end of the night, when everything becomes still, when life becomes silent, there's this nagging doubt in our hearts and our minds, of even though we're good moral people, are we really right with God? Are we really okay with God? And is God really okay with us, not only here on earth, but for eternity? So Nicodemus, would you go have this question with, God, with Jesus? I grew up in a really strict, fundamentalist Baptist family. And I can tell you that growing up, I often asked this question. You see, I grew up believing that I needed to be the most moral of the moral, the best of the best, the most religious of the religious, if I was going to indeed be right with God. If I was going to be okay with God and God was going to be okay with me, I continually, and I mean continually, wanted to know what was required of me what I had to do 
to be right with God? That's the question that Nicodemus asked. How do I know if I'm really right with God? How do I know if I'm okay with God and God is okay with me? Have you ever asked that question? In the still of the night? In the quiet of the morning? Am I really okay with God and he, is he really okay with me? In verse chapter 2 and 3, we see that, Jesus, that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. It simply says that. He came to Jesus at night. Now, literally what that means is he came to Jesus after the sun had set. That the cool of the evening air had started to fall, that it was evening. But most Bible scholars actually point to the fact that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night as really stating more of a theological issue in John's mind. What John was saying was that Nicodemus came to Jesus as one walking in darkness, not one walking in the light. That, that in John's mind, there is this major contrast between those who are in the light and those who are in the dark. And because Nicodemus came in the darkness, it must have meant that, in fact, he was one walking in the dark. So, so the first core truth, I think, that John gives us in John chapter 3 is this. There is a difference between people who are walking in the light and people who are walking in the dark. There is a difference, there is a contrast between those who are walking in the light and those who are walking in darkness. Now, in case you think I'm stretching this a bit, that Nicodemus came uh, to Jesus by night and therefore he's walking in the dark, take your uh, Bibles and just scroll down chapter 3 to verse 19. This is sort of the bookends of this particular uh, passage. So verse 19, and John, doing some theological um, verbiage here, says this. He says, this is the verdict. Here is the courtroom summary. Here is the ruling from the judge. Light has come into the world. But, in contrast, people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who, who does evil hates the light. And I guess in corollary, loves the darkness and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. It's a lot easier to hide things in darkness than in light. But whoever lives by the truth comes into light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. John makes a contrast. There's a difference between people who are in the dark and people who are walking in the light. Two weeks ago, I was in Cameroon, West Africa, and I was staying there at a, a missionary, missionary compound at one of the, the missionary guest houses. I've been to Africa a number of times, been in Cameroon a number of times, but this, this house was brand new to me. I never stayed at this particular guest house before. And it was the first night I had just arrived. It was uh, sort of later in the evening, and I was sitting in the kitchen area sort of unpacking a few things. And all of a sudden, the lights in the entire city grid, the electricity, went off, went down. And I sort of looked out and, and saw the lights were gone and there was no lights around. It was pitch black. And this actually is not real uncommon in Cameroon. So I was used to this. And I waited for a few minutes to see if the lights would come back on. And they did not. 
So I decided, well, I'm just, it's late enough, I'm going to go to bed. But I had to make my way, I had a journey from that kitchen area to, to the bedroom, and I had not been in this guest house for very long, and I wasn't quite sure how to get there, and it was pitch dark, it was black inside the room. And so I started to make myself, my way, uh, and navigate the, uh, the hallways, and, but before I got to the bedroom, I had, one, kicked the, uh, the kitchen door with my shin, I had bumped my head on the, uh, the door frame. I had stumbled over and fell over my luggage, my suitcase, which was in the middle of the bedroom, and I found myself laughing face down on the bedroom floor because of my own ineptitude. And worse than that, I came to realize laying on the floor that I had no idea how to get to the bathroom, which was not a good thing for an old fat man. <laughs> there is a difference between walking in the light and walking in the darkness. So, church, let me tell you two things to sort of flesh this out that I think John wants us to know about this. First, there is a difference. I recognize that in a cosmopolitan city like Winnipeg, with world-class universities and highly esteemed educational institutions, there's more than likely this underlying philosophical stand, this philosophical current that says when it comes to things of, of morality, when it comes to things of right and wrong, of good and evil, that there's no one way to look at this. There's multiple ways. In fact, each of us probably have our own way of looking at morality and right and wrong and good and evil, and everything is okay. And when it comes to religion, much of what's being said these these days would say that all roads, all paths, all religious and spiritual paths lead to the same God, to the same destination. But I think John would tell us differently. Max Lucado, a pastor and writer, responds to that kind of concept, that kind of statement with this. He says this in one of his books, how can all religions lead to God when they're so different? We don't tolerate such a logic in other matters. We don't pretend that all roads lead to London or all ships sail to Australia. All flights don't land in Rome. Um, imagine your response to a travel agent who claims they do. You tell him you need a flight to Rome, Italy. So he looks on a screen. Well, he says, there's a flight to Sydney, Australia departing at 6 a.m. You say, does it go to Rome? And he says, no, but it offers wonderful in-flight dining and movies. But you say, I need to go to Rome. Then he, let me, let me suggest, he says, Southwest Airlines. You say, Southwest Airlines flies to Rome? He says, no, but they have consistently won awards for on-time arrivals. You're growing frustrated. I need one airline to carry me to one place, Rome. The agent appears offended. Sir, all flights go to Rome. You know better. Different flights have different destinations. There's not a thick-headed conclusion, but an honest one. Every flight does not go to Rome. Every path does not go to God. For John, there are people who live in the light, and there are people who live in the dark. There is no neutrality. Nicodemus came to Jesus as one who was living in the darkness. 
people in Nicodemus' day were either for God or against God. There's no gray in the middle. There's no gray for Nicodemus. And candidly, there's no gray for us. People either walk in the light or they walk in the dark. But let me say, and this is going to sound quite contradictory though, as we flesh this out, that when it came to Jesus, Jesus was extremely loving and gracious and kind and helpful to those who were wandering and stumbling in the darkness. Let me say that again. Jesus was extremely gracious and kind and helpful to those who were stumbling in the darkness. Jesus accepted this healthy conversation, even this debate with Nicodemus, because Jesus cared for people who were in the darkness. To the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and by the way, this is a spoiler alert for next Sunday, Jesus was gracious and kind to a woman who had multiple husbands and moral failures in her life. And she had a, he had a great conversation with her. To the woman caught in adultery, Jesus was forgiving and transforming to people who were prostitutes and thieves, people who didn't understand well what he came for. Jesus spent time. Jesus was always gracious and kind and helpful to people stumbling in the darkness. The church, white rich as a church, you need to be totally aware that people are either walking in the light or walking in the darkness, but that God wants you to be gracious and kind and helpful and conversational with those who are stumbling in the darkness so that they too can find the light. That's the first core truth. The second core truth we find in John chapter 3 is that, according to John, people are either born again, born from above, or born from below. People are either born from above or born from below. Look at verse 3. Talking to Nicodemus, Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word born again is, is the Greek word, anothen, and it translates to one of two words. It translates either to the words born again or born above, and according to Greek scholars, both words work. I actually like the, the second translation, the born above. Jesus said, unless you are born from above, born again, born from above, you cannot, will not be able to see or experience the kingdom of God. So we want to talk about being born again, but before that, there's a question that needs to be bagged a little bit, which is, what is the kingdom of God? If Jesus says, unless we're born from above, we can't see the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? What's that mean for Jesus? Well, let me try to make this um, a little bit overly simplified this morning. The kingdom of God starts with an understanding that we have a new king, King Jesus has come upon the scene. And King Jesus has come to redeem and transform lives that are living in darkness. And King Jesus gives his followers powers. And the power that he gives us, those who are born again or born from above, is a power to live differently every single day of our lives in this new kingdom. 
Jesus has given us the power to live our lives in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in faithfulness, in gentleness, in self-control. King Jesus has unfurled this entire different new kingdom that he has called us to live in, and it is a different reality than the old kingdom or any other kingdom. Jesus, King Jesus, has given us a new kingdom. And being born again, being born from above into a new kingdom, now get this, is not simply a ticket to heaven when we die. That's part of it. It is an eternal kingdom. So part of it is that we will eternally live in the kingdom with Jesus. But part of it is that the kingdom is active. It's operative right now. Theologians have this word to talk about it, sort of a heady type of thinking. It says that the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. It's already here. It's already active, but many don't see it. It's already, but not yet. And the not yet means it's going to come in its fullness. When Jesus returns, he's going to unfurl this kingdom so everyone will see it. But between those times, between those times, it's a little bit of a hidden kingdom that only some of us can see. Well, what does it mean then to be born again? Well, born again simply means that we have a new reality, that we've been born not into a different reality, but into a new reality. Let me give you somewhat of a, a silly illustration, but it goes something like this. Being born again means you reflect the DNA of that which you're born from. So, if you uh, have an elephant, and, and you have a mommy and daddy elephant, and that mommy and daddy, daddy elephant come together, and they develop this embryo, which has the DNA of an elephant. Wives, you can explain this to your children and your husbands later on. But if that happens, and then sometime later, I actually don't know what the gestation period of an elephant is, but sometime later, this elephant gets birthed, gets pushed down the birth canal of the elephant, if you are born like this, so if you have the DNA of an elephant and you're pushed out the birth canal of an elephant, when you're born, you are born an... Thanks, class. Good. An elephant. And if you're born an elephant, then you live like an elephant, which means you eat like an elephant and you walk like an elephant and you dance like an elephant, however an elephant might dance. At the same time, if you have the DNA of a golden retriever, and you're pushed out the birth canal of a golden retriever, then when you're born, you are born a... Yeah, good, golden retriever. Not real hard, is it? So you eat like a golden retriever. You chase your tail like a golden retriever. You corner squirrels like a golden retriever. You live like a golden retriever. What you're born from means what you're born into, how you live and act behave. The Judaism that Nicodemus and Jesus both knew had a good deal to do with what family you were born into. See, for them, especially for Nicodemus, what mattered was that you were a child of Abraham, that you were born into a Jewish family. And of course, that, that's not all that mattered, but it was a good part of it. If you were born a Jew, then somehow you would be right with God. But Jesus says it doesn't matter what your religious heritage is. Instead, it matters that you're born 
from above, that you're born again. That in the spiritual realm, if you're born from above, if you're born again, it means that you have the DNA of the eternal kingdom, of, of God's kingdom. John 1 says that we become, if we believe, we become children of God so that we are birthed into a different reality. We are birthed into not darkness but to light. We are birthed into a new kingdom with a new king and a new way of living. Being born again means we are born from above. Yesterday when I got here, I grabbed a, a taxi cab from the, uh, the airport uh, down to my hotel on the south side. And uh, I got to talk the whole time, about 35 minutes, to this Pakistani immigrant. We just talked the entire, it was a great conversation. Talked about all kinds of things. In the midst of that conversation, he was telling me about the community that he had been raised up with and that he was living until three years ago when he moved here to Winnipeg. It was a community in Pakistan, and he talked to me about the violence of that community, the danger there, and the pressure that put on him as a father to his family and children and, and the type of restrictions they had. And then he said, three years ago, I moved to Winnipeg. And it's a place of safety. It's a place of comfort. We're at ease here. I have a great job. My kids go to school. And then he said, as a Muslim man, these interesting words, he said, it was like I had been born again. That I had this reality over here I was living, but suddenly I had a new birth, a total transition to something new. Most interesting after that, I said, it's fascinating that you would use the words born again. Those are the words that Jesus used for new spiritual life. And we had a conversation about that. But to be born again means we, we move from one reality that we've been born into, and now we have a new birth, a different birth, into a new reality, into light, and into the kingdom of God. The third core teaching that John tells us is that Jesus... Uh, teaches us that uh, Jesus came not as the condemner, but the Savior. So, so the first truth, once again, is that there's a difference between living in the dark and living in the light, walking in dark and walking in light. Second truth, of course, is that there's a difference, there's a contrast between being born from below and born from above, being born again. The third core truth is that Jesus came not as the condemner of this world, but as the Savior of this world. So let's drop all the way down to John 3.16, the verse that we've talked to each other, with each other, and let's read that again. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God, and this is a verse that we don't know as well. Most of us know John 3.16, but John 3.17 we don't know quite as well. It says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not come into this world to condemn the world. I think that's because most of us who are living outside of the light, who are living in darkness, who don't live in the real kingdom of God with the new king, Jesus, most of us sooner or later realize that something's wrong. If we're not living in the light and not living in the kingdom, sooner or later, sort of 
intuitively we understand that we're not right with God. So God says, for God did not, John says, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. I think this passage starts with a, a clear understanding that all of us need a savior. All of us need someone to save us from the darkness, save us from the old way of life, save us from the other kingdom. We need someone who will be our savior. But we need to understand that first. So if right now my friend Bob Fast jumped on stage, tackled me to the ground, pulled out a mobile defibrillation device and started to shock my chest over and over again, you would think that was sort of odd. Bob might enjoy that actually, but you would think that was you know, sort of pretty odd because I'm not showing any signs of health issues. I'm not showing any signs of heart attack. I'm not going through any issues. I don't need a savior, at least that type of savior. But if I was having a heart attack, if I was showing those symptoms, I would want Bob to jump up. I would need a savior who could take care of me and make me healthy again. The scripture tells us that we all need a savior. And John 3.16 says that God sent that savior not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Not to condemn you, but to save you. Not to condemn the city of Winnipeg, but to save the city of Winnipeg. Not to condemn Manitoba, but to save Manitoba. Not to condemn Canada, but to save Canada. Not to condemn North America, but to save North America. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus came as the Savior. So let me spend just the last few minutes this morning talking just maybe to a minority of you, just, just a few of you. You'll know this when I start talking who you are. I'm not going to ask you to share it with others. But maybe you've come here this morning with just a boatload of guilt in your life. As you look at your life, you think of all the behaviors, all the things you've done, all those negative thoughts you've had, all those issues in your life, and you have nothing but shame and guilt about those things. Perhaps you've come here, and even worse, that guilt has been exponentially increased by some church in your past. Somewhere in your background, you've had a religious leader, a, a pastor, a priest, a teacher, and they've told you that you are unworthy of God's love. They've pointed to some failure or some doubt that you've had in your life, and they've told you you will never measure up to God's design. You are not in right standing with God. You are not okay. And they've taken your guilt and they have exploded it in your soul. And that's left stains and scars and suffering. You sit here today and believe that God is somehow absent or apathetic or angry. He's absent because he's just not there for you. He's apathetic because he just doesn't care or God is just thinking mad at you for some reason. If that's you, I want you to know clearly this morning that John 3.16, the core understanding of the Christian faith is that God so loved the world. God had great affection, great love for this world that 
he gave. God didn't give. God didn't take. God didn't require. God didn't give you a list of do's and don'ts. God so loved, so affectionately loved this world and you that he gave. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him, and you guess who, who whoever is, whoever is all of us, any of us who decide that we need this Savior, whoever believes in him, whoever simply puts their trust, who commits their life, who says, I need this new king and I want to enter into this new kingdom. I want to move from darkness to light. I want to trust. Whoever simply does the, those things, that simple act of belief and trust, Whoever believes him will not perish. That when this life is done, all the good life that you had will not stop. It will not end. It will not perish. But that life will continue in this greater, more expanded, more real kingdom of God. Whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. And if you sit here this morning saying, Dan, I... I just need to talk to someone about this guilt. Talk to someone about my shame. Talk to someone about the fact that I've never really recognized it that way before. That a great God loves me and adores me and wants me to come follow him. I would love just to have a conversation with you. And more important than me, because I leave, you know, in a couple hours, I would love to connect you to one of the pastoral staff so that they can walk you through this and remind you from God's word how great the Father's love for us really is. Perhaps so this morning you're saying, no, you know, Dan, I'm, I'm okay with this. Maybe what God is doing to you right now is he's putting the name, a face of someone who, who's sort of in your sphere of influence. It's, it's a neighbor, it's a family member, it's a coworker, it's someone you go to school with, someone that you play in the gym with, it's someone that you play sports with, it's someone that you hang out with. There's someone in your life who desperately needs to move from darkness to light, who needs to move from one reality to another reality, who needs to enter into the power of the new kingdom. And you just say, boy, you know, what I need to do is I need to go to have a conversation with this person. I need to talk to this person and let them know that God so loved the world that he gave, that whoever, which means them, that they can come into a new reality, a new relationship with Jesus. And maybe God's just putting someone right now on your heart, your mind. Right now you see their face in your mind. And maybe what you want to do come up is afterwards and just say, Dan, would you pray with me about this person? I don't, I don't even know how to have this conversation, but can we pray about this person? Or again, maybe you just want to talk to a staff person and say, you know, can we pray? Because God has put this person's heart, put this person's face on my mind and heart. Three core truths that are hard to escape. We are either walking in the darkest or we're walking in the light. We've either been born from above or we've been born from below. And Jesus is not our condemner. Jesus came to be our Savior. John Wesley said it well long ago in a hymn. He talked about us being in a prison. 
This is what he says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, his spirit captive, fast bound in sin and nature's night, darkness had taken over. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. My chains fell off, my heart was free. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have life, eternal, free, chainless life forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth that rings in our heads that moves our hearts. Help us to understand anew that you loved us. So great, so rich, so full, so free. And you simply want us to follow the new king, King Jesus. Help us to give our lives for you in Jesus' name. Amen.